Great DJs deserve great music. That's why here at Desi BPM, we're giving professional DJs access to the first ever online DJ pool exclusively for Desi Music. Register your interest now and receive your first three months free at desibpm.com. Yeah, yeah, welcome to the show, it's the number one show, interviews and music, podcast, you know, integrate the culture through the times, just sit back and chill, it's the roots and rhymes, roots and rhymes, roots and rhymes, just sit back and chill, it's the roots and rhymes, all you really need is some roots and rhymes, roots and rhymes, roots and rhymes. So thanks for tuning in for episode two of the Roots and Rhymes podcast. We're still in lockdown, but on a more positive note, I'm joined by my co-host, Mac. What's happening, Chance? How's it going? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. How's your week been? It's been good. It's been, you know, lockdown's challenging at times, just trying to keep busy, trying to keep active, but, you know, really looking forward to episode two. This one has been one of those highlights on my calendar that I've been like, okay, a few more days and we've got this going on because this is a big one. You know what? I'm really buzzed about this episode. Really, really buzzed. The conversation was great. It flowed so well. It was great getting an insight and... The guest today, I've been following for a really, really long time. And she's yeah. been in the scene for absolutely ages. And she's been successful throughout it. And she's doing big, big things. And I can't wait to for the listeners to, to hear it. For sure. I mean, when you talk about, you know, pioneers and trailblazers and people who have just ripped the scene open and done it their way, she's a, such an amazing example of that. And to hear her story, to hear her tell it, is just it's a great experience for us but the listeners are going to love this you know and it's so diverse as well it's it's not just uh one one track minded this is what i did and i kind of plodded along and did it it's it runs in so many different directions so interesting as well um but you know what we can carry on talking about it let's get to it let's do it and ride so Mac, I'm really looking forward to today's guest. Um, I'm, I've been following her for a really, really long time. Like when she was doing her Friday night shows on Asian Network and a little bit before that as well. Um, I don't know uh, if you're looking forward to it as well. Oh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one. This is when you told me who we've got on. I was like, both me and you have been following her for a long time. We know her career is like for real. Like we got so-and-so on. You're like, yep. Yeah. And I was like, I can't wait for this. It's going to be a great show. I'm really looking forward to hearing the insights, the information, the journey and everything Roots and Rhymes related. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Maybe it's because she's the kind of DJ I've always wanted to be. She's the kind of DJ, she's the kind of DJ I've always wanted to MC for. So that <laughs> makes two of us. Right. So let's not waste any more time. It's my pleasure to welcome today's guest. Growing up on the streets of Croydon, she's been a top draw London DJ since she was a teenager. Some would call her the Tim Westwood of the BBC Asia Network. She mixes it up with A-listers and has even impressed the likes of DJ Jazzy Jeff. But she's given her passport away and now she's living across the pond. It's none other than Caper. Hey, How you doing? Hi. That's, that's a nice <laughs> intro. I, I wasn't sure if you even knew who I was. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I, I didn't just uh, send emails out and hope. It was carefully targeted. <laughs> nice. But yeah, some would call you the Tim Westwood of the BBC Asia Network. How do you feel about that? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess it's a compliment. He's a lot louder than me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. So how are you doing anyway? You're, so you're living out in New York now? Yeah, I live in Brooklyn. I moved here like, what was it, 2016? So okay. been here ever since. My green card holder, you know. <laughs> I guess. So Trump's got nothing to worry about there, has he? No, no, no. <laughs> Although it did take me two years to get my green card because Trump became president the year that I moved. So, uh, yeah. Great timing. Yeah. That's top timing. Yeah. So, so you're living out in Brooklyn? Yeah, I live in Brooklyn. That's pretty cool now, isn't it? It's kind of like the, the shortage East London of, uh, of New York, really, isn't it? Yeah. Well, actually, I live in Williamsburg, which is literally, it's just, it's just new, like, the city is just over the bridge. Yeah. yeah. So, um, how's things over there with the lockdown and stuff? Oh, it's been, it's been interesting. <laughs> it's, mm. uh, it's, it's crazy because what is it? 
probably been two and a half months now. And um, the the last thing that I did before lockdown was I was in Chicago and then I came home and then I was supposed to go to Austin the next day for for a festival called South by Southwest. And ah, wicked. Yeah. And then, and, and I, you know, it's like one of my favorite things to do, like one of my favorite mm. festivals. And then just overnight, it's just like, bang, everything yeah. is <laughs> over. But, yeah. You know, it's, it's nuts because um, I was out in Chicago earlier this year. Yeah. And even though you knew about this thing happening, it was like, it was like nobody was really talking about it. Everything was cool. Yeah. And, and just plodding along. And then I went out to Dubai and I came back and it was like, don't leave your house now. Yes, it's it's crazy. It's you know like we've we, I uh, I had um, what did I have? I had swine flu when that was going around and like yeah. you know oh. and I thought oh you know it would just be like that and it would you know I just never really ever, bad flu. yeah I never thought that it would be a situation where the whole world is going to get locked down. Mm. Ridiculous. You, you know everybody's got to, we we spoke about it on the last show. Everybody's got to use technology now and find these new ways to kind of be innovative. And I know. You've got a, a massive presence on uh, on Instagram and you do your Insta live shows, which I, I did catch this weekend, but you had a little bit of trouble, didn't you? Yeah, it was the first week. So like for the first seven weeks that I was I was doing these lives, I wasn't getting shut down. So I was like, well, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. So I continued doing it. Um, and then all of a sudden, um, I did hear like, so I'm on a, on a, on a group chat with like everybody that goes to this thing at Jazzy Jeff's house and it's like every like legendary DJ but you know and I and I was looking at the thread and everyone was like oh you know Instagram is is done now like you know um you know there's people that I know with like thousands and thousands of followers who's still um getting yeah. shut down so yeah it's 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 been it was it was pretty irritating um but you know I think I think Twitch and Mixcloud and you know these other but platforms. Twitch has are, skyrocketed now, hasn't there. it? Because of this, I know so many DJs that have yeah. moved yeah. from Insta uh, over and even Facebook Live, which was dead a little while ago. But yeah. Twitch is it's crazy now. It's it's frustrating though because the one of the main reasons why I was doing stuff on Instagram Live was because all my followers are there, and then you know, and it's one thing that you know we're having to you know you know i can't yeah. do any gigs i can't go out and earn money but then and now i've got to like build followers in another platform and it's just you know it's not as easy as no. what people think you know it's not like it's not like i can just put a message out and tell everyone to follow me on twitch and people will actually do it do you know what yeah. i mean it takes time yeah so we, we, we spoke about that last week as well didn't we matt that it was kind of like we enjoyed djing or emceeing mm -hmm. and the difficult part of it was the grind of it and bringing in followers because obviously we're in a social media orientated uh, environment yeah. Yeah. as well. If you haven't really got a following or you're not big enough to even need a following, it, you've really got to put in the grind and you've yeah. got to look for different ways and different platforms, don't There's you? So definitely, definitely a lot of work. I mean, it's uh, it's so competitive out there as well right now. Like, you know, we did a dime a dozen for every, every industry, everything that you can think of. There's, you know, th thousands of people doing the same thing. So to differentiate right now is a real challenge. Yeah, it's definitely a little bit. Of How are you finding this whole transition to online? Because obviously for you, performing in front of live crowds so often, mm. you know, part of the performance is the energy that you get from the crowd back. Yeah. What's it, what's it been like for you not being able to have that live feel? It just, it, um, it's kind of nostalgic for me because it reminds me of doing radio. So mm it's that same feeling again, like it's the same feeling that I used to have when I was on radio and, and I had to like imagine a crowd in front of me yeah. or, or the only, the only way you can, and the only way you could do that is, you know, by interaction with, you know, people texting in and um, messaging me on Twitter at the time and stuff like that. Um, but now it's, yeah, it's, it, it's, yeah, I think I think it reminds me of doing radio because of, I had have that experience. I I think it's not been that bad for me anyway. But yeah, I do miss I miss being out in a live environment, of course. So rewind. Let's take it back. No, your roots. So it's well documented that you've been in the game for a pretty young age. Uh, but before all of that, 
how did you get into music? What were your influences growing up? What's your earliest memory? Yeah, so I mean, I was always um, I was all, I was into music from a very young age. There was there's people like when I used to go to school, there were people like my school friends or whatever that wouldn't know anything about music, but I knew I had this wide knowledge of music that it was just basically came from what like watching the box on an, an MTV and you know just sitting there like recording all the videos yeah. and. Um, but yeah, I, I've been, I've, I kind of started really young. I knew what I wanted to do from when I was about eight years old, I think. And one of the main reasons is, be- is, is because I have, have like two cousins that were, they would do, they were DJs in the early nineties and then later built a roadshow, um, uh, thing, yeah. you know? So, um, so they, they pretty much influenced me a lot, um, with music and they, they they were like R and B hip hop DJs, yeah. so um, uh, that's where I think most of the influence came from. So were you kind of like messing around on their turntables or and kind of picking out their records and just jamming with them? Yeah, I used to. Firstly, before my cousin even had turntables, I remember he used to have two tape decks, yeah, and yeah. I mean you could play them together. So so he he was learning to mix uh, like that, you know, by press, you know, pressing quickly that. rewind, yeah, pause, yeah. And then play. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a real, that's a real skill. I know, I know vinyl DJs talking about that being a skill, but yeah. cassette mixings, that's another level. And I always thought it was so fascinating. So I used to sit there with him when I'm like, you know, seven, eight years old and he would yeah. know me and I would try and do the same thing. Um, and uh, yeah. So they, so they, you said they uh, had a road show. Um, was that kind of, so, but they were R and B hip hop. So, did they have? Did they bring an Indian musical influence um, to that, or was it was it just a mobile DJs playing R and B hip hop at house parties? Uh, so, so when they were younger, um, uh, my cousin, my my cousin was at Bradford Uni, oh, so they music. used to yeah. <laughs> so they used to do a lot of um, you know gigs up in that area. Okay. And Manchester and stuff like that. And, and then, mm. you know, they were, they were called trick and treat, by the way. Um, and then, um, later on, you know, after they finished uni or whatever, they decided to, to build a roadshow and do weddings and stuff, which yep. was kind of like the natural progression. But, um, I don't, I, I think they were more, more known as like R and B hip hop DJs. And then, yeah. then the, the Indian either play like, you know, Bangor and stuff like that when they mm. like the wedding stuff. So, uh, but I never grew up on, on Bangor or, or yeah. Hollywood or, or any of that. Um, I was pretty much straight up hip hop dance music. So, so was there no real like Indian musical influence or wasn't it, it wasn't even played in your house to remember the tunes and nostalgic about them? That kind of thing. Was it no, like, mom, I had no idea. No, I, my, I mean, my mom, my mom used to play Gurba okay. um, song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and my parents are actually like massive Bollywood fans, but I, I was never into, I just, it was almost like because they loved it so much that me and my brother would just be like, "Oh no, we don't, we don't listen <laughs> this to Bollywood." You have to, you have to rebel. <laughs> yeah. You have to rebel. Yeah, so we would be like, "No, we listen to, to hip hop and we by nature and you know like stuff like that," and just trying to be, be the opposite of of them. So I can't really say that I was influenced by any kind of Indian music, but I did hear it. I wouldn't be able to. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't be able to tell you any names or. <laughs> <laughs> A similar, similar to the conversation that we had, uh, Chuns, just about that exposure when you're younger, you kind of naturally move towards the type of music that influences you, even if your traditions and roots are elsewhere, you kind of get your own taste for music as you're growing up. Yeah. So so you, you, you mentioned Naughty by Nature. Is that one of your earliest memories of the tunes that you used to listen to? What, what was, if, you, if I had to say, what was the first track you remember listening to or listening to on repeat? What, what would you say it was? I don't know. That's a hard question. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember. But yeah, I mean, I guess I remember we used to listen to Bobby Brown a lot. I don't know. I, I, I remember the first record that I bought was a Bobby Brown record. It was a seven inch. Um, I think it was my prerogative. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, Great tune. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably my earliest memory. But then I I don't know. I used to, like I said, because I was uh, I was I didn't have anything to do when I was a kid, and I'd just be listening to the radio and um and you know watching the box and MTV. I I I knew so much music at such yeah. a young age, and I would actually tell my cousins about the new tunes that were out. So, you know, I'd tell them, oh, like, Jodeci's got a new tune out. And they'd be like, really? Oh, cool. Let me go <laughs> check it out. Because, <laughs> you know, they were at uni and I had nothing else to do. But yeah, yeah. This is music. So, yeah, I, ca- I can't really remember what my earliest memory is. Probably, like, it was probably, probably like, Janet Jackson. So I'm wearing a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I do love a bit of Janet Jackson. I, re- I remember that era as well with the box and, and MTV and and... Then MTV bass came later on. And it was a bit more R&B, hip hop orientated, and yeah. just listening to them back to back. And sometimes they would have like features of just one artist, and I used to record them. Like yeah. if it was Michael Jackson or that kind of thing. Yeah. But you had every single Michael Jackson video on tape that you could play back to back. Yeah, yeah. I basically made video mixtapes because I would wait for like sometimes I would call. Uh, my mum and dad used to go nuts, but because. <laughs> You know, it was like five pound a call or whatever. <laughs> I would like request videos and I'd just sit there and wait. And, wait. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I would know exactly like, you know, because if, if I've seen the videos I mean, so many times, I would just know exactly when it's coming on in the first second. And I'd run to the, to the video recorder and press record. And yeah. It's just proper nerd like that. Today's generation just don't know the struggle, do no, they? No, definitely Everything not. on demand. Everything on demand. Yeah, I still have those tapes. I, d- I didn't get rid of any of them. We still have but, them in the loft. Uh, do you still have a VHS? That's the question. Probably. <laughs> probably. probably. Yeah, I think we do, actually. I think my mum and dad still have, have one. So, uh, so obviously you got into music through your cousins and jumping on their turntables and your knowledge of music, passing it to them. So how old were you when you, you hit the club scene and you, uh, you were DJing? Uh, was that just in London or did you kind of go national? So originally, um, how did it happen? Um, originally, my, so my brother, who is seven years older than me, he was at uni with my cousins and he was influenced. Well, he wanted to be a part of their crew or whatever. So mm. he decided that he wanted to be a DJ. Um, but he wasn't, he did, you know, to be a DJ, you've got to be committed, right? So he he just liked the idea of it, yeah. but he didn't actually put in the work mm. and he ended up buying a turntable just one Technics 1210 and he decided to buy a couple of records um, and then just lost interest and then I would come home from school so I was what at that point I was what 11 or 10 or something 10 11 or whatever and I'll come home and, and while he was at uni or or at school or college or whatever I would I would end up practicing on on his decks, and I learned pretty quick because I used to play the drums at school. Okay. So, like, I already had like an understanding of how to match beats and stuff. So that part was kind of pretty easy for me. Um, and then, um, yeah, so I just did that for like a good couple of years until until I was like 15, sixteen um, when I could actually like go to a well I wasn't really allowed to go to a club but but, but I was chaperoned by my yeah. brother actually to my first gig and it was a gig in Croydon in the middle of a like this this roundabout okay and they had a, a car park in the middle of a roundabout in Croydon and this club was just it was it was a proper dive it was in the middle of this this little complex thing um and that's pretty much how I started I yeah so my first actual live gig was when I was like 16, but I, I'd already been DJing yeah. for so many years before that, but just not in front of, you know, a live audience. That's well, a long time to brush up your skills, isn't it? And, and get in front of the crowd. I mean, it was, it was funny because I used to go to, there was a, a record shop called Apple Records in Croydon. I used to go there with my school uniform on and to buy like e- either like I could only fo- afford like one vinyl even to buy vinyl or to buy like um like uh dmc videos you know technically oh yeah 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 yeah. i would go there and they would look at me like what 
they're so confused. Like this little girl in a school uniform wants to buy scratching videos. What the hell? So, so you know, you wasn't just playing the music and like interested in playing out music. You you're very much into that turntablist culture. Yeah, and watching DMC and probably watching the likes of like Premier and Yoda and that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I always how I learned to scratch was by using the line and uh, phono switch on yeah. a crappy little mixer that I that my brother had bought me for like fifty pound. Um, that's how I learned to scratch. But I learned to scratch by listening to Jazzy Jeff. Um, uh, uh, on the album, he's the DJ on the rapper. There's a yeah. uh, song in there called "Live from Union Square," mm. and um, it's just a live recording of, of Will Smith and Jazzy Jeff. And there's a part where um, I think Will says, "Show them, show them the Transformer scratch," and that's how I learn. And I was so young then, I, I was just like, what is that noise? So I'd press play and yeah. stop and rewind and try and make that sound. And that's how I learned. So I was always into to scratching and, and, and all of that from such a young age. I'm literally the worst DJ in the world because I did not know that the Transformer scratch was invented by Daddy <laughs> Jeff on that record. Pretty much, You're teaching yeah. me something yeah, yeah. today. It's funny because I remember I remember when he was on my radio show, and I remember telling him that story for the first time. And it, and he was like, you know what's crazy is that that um, he didn't they didn't know that anyone was recording. Someone just happened to press press record that day on that on at their show, and it got put on the album. And it's it's crazy because. It, if maybe if that hadn't have happened, would I have been into it as much? You know, would I have learned to scratch? Or work? It's crazy to think about. Yeah. That's so true. That 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 particular moment uh, that somebody pressed record when they wasn't really supposed to as kind of as kind of a, a real defining moment in your yeah. career. Yeah, definitely. And and start off yours. That's that's amazing. That is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's exactly what, what he he was like. Wow, I was like. He, he never even thought about it in that way kind of thing. He just thought, oh, it's a live recording on, on yeah. an album. I mean, obviously, you've met him. He's probably um, as humble as pie uh, about certain situations like that. I mean, yeah, he, he's definitely one of, one of the best DJs in the world. And I guess, like you said, to be, um, to be running in similar circles as him and stuff like that must be really rewarding, especially in the early days. Yeah, um, definitely. It's, like de- it's, it's definitely... I still have to like, pinch myself sometimes, you know, I, I, I go to his house, uh, he like, he's made me tea and stuff <laughs> like, and, and, and it's just, it's so weird because he's such a normal, like humble guy and also a very generous person as well. Like him and his okay. family, hmm. they always have people at the house and they, he's always, there's a thing that he does called the playlist retreat um, where he invites like 50 DJs and producers and stuff. And when I say 50 DJs and producers, this is like Questlove and like oh. Redman and like Vera Munch. And, and we're all basically at his house and he does it every year for like four days. And it's kind of like a conference, but it's in mm. his house. And yeah. he, 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 he always says that he never wants to do it outside of his house because it's more personal. And yeah. Absolutely, or yeah. inspirational to to be in his house, and he's got a he's got an amazing recording studio in his house as well. So you know, he's just like he's he's very humble and very generous with his time. So, so would you say uh, from that early age, he's been one of your main influences then uh, through your career? And is is there any others that you you can recall um, trying to mimic, uh, like you say, on the DMC videos and stuff? Yeah, definitely. Like Craze was one of them. I remember I bought a Vestax mixer, a very expensive Vestax mixer, when I was like eighteen because I 
that I couldn't afford, by the way. And I think I bought it with my student loan or something. Um, <laughs> That's a good use of a student loan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, he, you know, he was, he was one of them. Um, yeah. I used to watch all the videos. So like Rock Radar, I was later on, you know, like in 2003 or something, I was in a DJ crew with like a four deck DJ crew with um, DJ Pogo. Um, DJ Scully and DJ 279 and we used to um we used to do this party called the Get Down at Bar Rumba in okay Piccadilly Circus um yeah. and DJ Pogo was obviously he's he's you know like DMC champion yeah. and, and everything and he used to um yeah I used to go to his house he used to you know teach me some things and right. so you went through um, DJing when you were at uni and you talked about buying the, the Vastex mixer with your student loan. So was there any other club nights that you were doing while you were at uni? Because I heard from a certain somebody that you were a regular at Club Fez. Yeah, so um, so uh, there was a club. There's like four clubs in Cambridge, right? <laughs> and yeah. one, of them, one, of the, one of the main ones was um, this tiny tiny little place it was like 300 capacity um and it was called the fez club and originally i had been booked to just dj there on tuesdays a couple of times and then um i ended up taking over the whole night and then i created my own my own kind of brand i guess and it took off and that's basically how i met a lot of my like heroes because i was like all right if i'm gonna do my own night how can I, how can I DJ with DJ Premier? How can I DJ with yeah. Cash Perverts? How can I DJ with Cash Money? And the only way that I could think to do it is if I book them to DJ. So that's that's how I basically met a lot of my my heroes, and that's how I met Jazzy Jeff. <laughs> by, by booking, by booking Jazzy Jeff. Yeah, that's how I met him in, right. in like 2003 or something. Um, well, if it doesn't happen, make it happen, right? Yeah, that's that's, that's, yeah. that's the thing, and that still applies even to this day. I think to a lot of DJs who I get asked all the time, like, "Oh, how can I progress in my DJ career, and how can I get noticed and stuff?" And I, I'm always like, "Well, you know, if the, the best way to do it is to do it yourself, right? If you, yeah. you know, don't wait to be um, noticed by this person or that person. Figure out a way to do it, like make it happen." Um, and that was the uh, that was the most logical thing that I could think of. So that's one of the reasons why I started the night. And then it just ha- it just happened to be successful. Um, it was kind of around the era of of like when crunk music became a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a, there wasn't that many um, there wasn't that that many places where you could go and hear it. And around the area of Cambridge, there were a lot of American air bases. Hmm. Um, so you would you would have like you know these guys and girls uh, coming from the American air bases to to my nights um, to listen to punk music. So that's yeah, and to listen to you know good music, and it was just like a fun vibe, you know. Yeah. So that was uh, what like early early twenties, two thousand early two thousands, two thousand and three. Because 2003 was quite a big year for you, wasn't it, in terms of accolades and and uh, achievements? So you won the Daily Telegraph Student DJ of the Year Award. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As well as the Vastax Juice DJ competition, which is absolutely massive. The first yeah. female DJ as well. <laughs> yeah, um, that, was a, that was a funny story as well, because I actually... So I went... Well, one of the main reasons why I went to uni was... Um, to uh, to progress with my DJ career. I know it sounds like crazy, <laughs> but, um, because my mum and dad weren't well, they weren't having it. So they yeah. were, you know, they. I was like, well, what do I do? The best thing to do is to move out and yeah. go to uni, and not in London, somewhere outside of yeah. London. <laughs> and yeah. so I remember I made a mix. I did a mix on a mini disc and. And I was like, I'm going to uni. I'm starting uni next week, and I did music tech at uni. So, I the first like week of my course when my course started, um, 
I found like a third year student and I was like, oh, I've, I made this mix. Um, would you be able to master it for me? Like sort out the levels and stuff. And he was like, all right, cool. So then he did. He, and then he came back to me and he was like, who's, who, who did the mix? And I was like, well, me. And then he's like, who's scratching on there? I was like, me. And he was like, what? He was like, what? He, was, he just couldn't believe it. He was like, I'm in a, I'm in this competition. Um, and there's no more places left, but he was like, I'm going to drop out and I think you should be in it. And I was like, what? I was like, I'm not doing that. No, not happening. And then actually that did end up happening and I ended up being in the competition and I kept winning. I didn't think anything was going to come of it. And then I just kept winning, kept winning, kept winning all the heats. And then I won the whole thing. And then, yeah. And then, I mean, that was like, what, 2002 or three or something. So that's, that's pretty much how that kind of happened. Well, what an amazing, it's so amazing to hear these kind of moments in your life where it's been like, you know, <coughs> Jazzy Jeff recorded something and it kind of inspired you to take a journey and yeah. like the serendipity of this just turning up and being placed in front of you. It's almost like this, you were guided to these moments. Yeah. I mean, I, I can honestly tell you, I, I, there's a lot of things in my life that I didn't plan to do. <laughs> I, I didn't plan to be on radio. I didn't play all these things just kind of fell uh, into my lap in a weird way. And then I just kind of went with it. I think, so, I think sometimes the situations like that have uh, a way of aligning themselves. I mean, I, I'm not sure what your, what your attitude's like towards um, positivity and, and, and that kind of thing. But I think, like I said, the, like, like Mike just mentioned as well, these, these moments seem to have came to you. And I, I, don't, I don't know if they, they, they came on your lap, but I mean, obviously you've worked hard to, to get where you are today and, and like you say it brought you into radio as well which it wasn't really planned either no that was definitely not planned um I was so shy when I was when I was younger I'm still shy but not as much mm. but I couldn't even to to even put a microphone in my hand I would just like be like no no not, not happening not happening right um so I, I couldn't even imagine like doing a radio show and that was another thing that where, you know, I was kind of around, you know, the I was in the scene of London and yeah. I was kind of what, getting known or whatever. Um, and then one extra had called me in to do a pilot because they, uh, they were just piling people. And I was like, all right, fine, I'll go. Um, and I remember I took like a box of records and then tried to do a pilot with a box of records. It was just ridiculous. Um, and then what ended up happening was because I had just started uni um, I was like, well, how would I even do this show? Like, you know, how would I do uni and the show? Because I'd have to come back to London and the show was like at two in the morning yeah. and stuff. And, and it just didn't, it's, I guess it, it, that didn't happen. Mm. And then all of a sudden I, my name was circulating in, I guess, around the BBC. Yeah. And then I got asked to do another pilot and it happened to be the Asian network. And then, that's just how it was like literally just got asked to do uh, a pilot and that's it. So, so you dominated the Asian network for, for around six years. Mm -hmm. I think you started on the Wednesday night shows first and then um, you took that Friday night spot yeah. around what, 2011, 2012. Yeah. Um, so for somebody who's not really interested in indie music and you predominantly played like R&B, hip hop, yeah. soul and, and dancehall and, and crunk like you did it. Yeah. At Fez Club. Yeah. Do you, do you feel it was because of the one extra thing? Did you also find it difficult to cross that boundary into mainstream media? That, and then this opportunity came with Asian Network because you were Asian, potentially. Yeah. So did you, you kind of just take that the scruff of the neck and it was like, right, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to jump on this. I just, I just thought, all right, look, I've been handed an opportunity. I might as well take it. But I was uncomfortable about the fact that it was Asian Network. And I was like, I don't really want to be on Asian Network because it doesn't really, I didn't think that it represented me. And I was into hip hop and I was, you know, that's, that's the music that I knew about. And then all of a sudden I'm getting asked to do a show on Asian Network and I had to, I had to learn about stuff from scratch, like it, like the Indian stuff. And I was, I was, 
like bang they used to make me play bangra and i don't know anything about bangra i'm not even punjabi yeah. So <laughs> I'm like expected to say all these like Punjabi names on, on radio. And it, I, was, I was terrible. It was, yeah. it was like terrible. It was so, and I would even, I even got to the point where I would purposely not say the names of the, the tracks and figure out a way to do a link without yeah. saying the name of the, of, of the track. If it, if it was a Bangor track, <laughs> I was just so like embarrassed of the fact that I could, I couldn't like say the, the names properly. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was it was a it was a weird time, but I just went with it. I was just like, all right, well maybe if I did if I do Asian Network, you know, um, one extra might ask me to do, which they did. Yeah, uh, they then you know asked me to cover shows and stuff. But then I was like, mm, all right, that's fine. Maybe they'll ask me to do a show at some point, or yeah. you know, uh, maybe Radio One will ask me to do a show. It was I've always had that hope, and then. But then what I, what I didn't realize is I was basically just getting put into this little box, box this little yeah. category. And then I got, I got asked to do a pilot for Radio 1. And I was like, what? And I was like, yes. I was like, I'm, it's finally happening. And they didn't tell me what the, what the, uh, the pilot was for. And, I, and I, I prepped for it and everything. And this was in like probably like 2011 or something, yeah? Or twelve, maybe, um, and it, and then I find out it was for another Asian show. So I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> like, find it difficult to kind of break out of that box, then? Yeah, because then now, now all of a sudden, I'm you know the just the brown chick, yeah, on the Asian network, you know, mm. and I just I did I didn't think it was fair. So, and no. I, it's, it's but it's interesting that you came from a point where you were never in that box. Mm-hmm. And then you got put into that box yeah. and then you had to break out of that box. And for so many sort of Asian Indian artists, they kind of start in the box and then try and break out of it. But yeah. you kind of went into the box and had to get back out of it, which that sounds so difficult to try and, you know, once you're in there to get back out of it again. Yeah, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. I, I literally, I, after I left radio, Man, I felt so free. I was like, wow. Like I was doing really well, like with DJing and stuff. And I was, I was, I was DJing in the States a lot. Um, and, and I just remember feeling like I can finally be like me and not have to like pretend to like Bangra or pretend to like Bollywood or yeah. like, yeah. Try to pronounce people's names that you can't pronounce. pronounce yeah. I could finally just be myself. And yeah. But around the around the era that you was on Asian Network, it was kind of um, there was a resurgence of this Bhangra R and B hip hop kind of vibe because you had like you had like Jay Sean and and Rishi Rich and Juggy D doing their thing around that time, and it probably fell right in to the era that you were in the Asian Network. So did that kind of provide you a little bit of relief that there's some kind of decent R and B ethnic kind of vibe here that you could get on board with? Yeah, totally. Well, I would I would spend ages looking for for that kind of stuff, and there was a yeah. it was such a small scene yeah. that there's only so many tunes that I could I could find, you know. And then yeah. actually Diplo, he helped me out a lot. Like he he um, with his record label before Diplo was this crazy massive EDM DJ. Yeah, he had his record label Mad Decent, and yeah. you know he's he's very much into to Indian culture and music. He traveled there and he, he lived there for a while and stuff like that. Right. So, um, a lot of the stuff that he was signing on his label was Indian. It was like, you know, influenced or whatever. And, but it was cool. So I was like, I was (laughs) like, it was different. It sounded different. You know, there was also MIA and, you know, it's like that. Um, so he would send me like a folder of tunes all the time and save my life like every, <laughs> every other week. So, I'd be like, so that was also around the time that it was it was quite. Um, so I used to go to a night called Shanti in uh, in Birmingham. Oh yeah, um, and the likes of people like Asian Dub Foundation and stuff were really making a big hit around that yeah. them days. What and that yeah that was like two thousand six. Yeah. 2007 I especially when that was around the time I was uh, yeah. rocking about in uni and into the DJ do you think that extended your career at the Asian Network because these were the kind of things that kind of kept you going yeah if it wasn't if it wasn't for artists like 
Asian Dub Foundation, um, that that kind of scene. Um, I don't think I would have lasted there that long because they. Yeah. I was. I remember in the beginning they would they would tell me, okay, you need to play more Bangra in, and I was like, no, I was. Yeah. I, I don't want to. I don't want to play like pure Bangra mixed with hip hop. Like I don't want to do that. And yeah, yeah when those when those artists kind of came around, it was a it was definitely a lot easier to handle. So the, the you left the Asian Network in what two thousand and twelve. Um, yeah. yeah. It kind of feels like, because a year a year or so later, you released your your first tune, right? Out of My Mind? Yeah. Which is, which has been streamed, yeah, it's an absolute it's banger. banger. Streamed over two and a half million times on Spotify. It's, it is a, it's something that sounds just as good now, almost 10 years later. So, uh, great use of synths and drum patterns <clears throat> absolutely love it yeah but do you kind of feel as if leaving the asia network kind of like you said it allowed me to be free yeah and your kind of coming out was was this tune it kind of brought all that out of you and you channeled it into into that song yeah because when i was on radio i couldn't i didn't have enough time to make music one of the main things was was you know I went to uni and I studied music tech and I I've, I've always wanted to make music and that's the one thing even probably even before I was DJing that's what I wanted to do and um I just could, I I kept getting distracted from doing the one thing that I wanted to do by all these little opportunities that kept coming my way and and doing radio was just taking up so much time um but I was actually like, I, so I started getting serious about producing probably a year or a year and a half before I left radio. And um, uh, I just knew, I knew that was like my plan. I knew once I leave Asian Network, that's it. Like I'm not going into radio again. I got offered to do some other other shows. I got offered to do a YouTube show. I got offered to do all kinds of random stuff. And I And for the first time, I was like, no not doing it i'm making music that's a bold move because it almost that's again is breaking out your comfort zone isn't it because you were kind of yes you were put into this box but a lot of people like you know what i know it i'm gonna go with it i can i can go on this thing called youtube which was probably in its quite early days before your influence you were gamers now that are getting like hundreds and thousands of of subscribers Yeah, yeah it for some people it might be the logical career move, but you saw it a different way. Yeah, I was just like, I can't keep being distracted by the one, by all these, you know, doing all these other things, you know. So that's why I, I chose to do. And also, I want, I just wanted to, I wanted to just DJ as well, yeah. without having to worry about doing, preparing for a, a radio show or just having that thing in the back of my head, like, oh, okay, right, I got, you know. And I couldn't do that when I was on radio, and I couldn't even go and do. I would come here. I would come to the states and do gigs, but I would have to go back before my next radio show because they wouldn't allow me to have, um, you know, more stuff. than yeah. It was it was in my contract that I could only take a certain amount of yeah. shows off a year and stuff. And I just I just felt so trapped, like not being able to do the things that I love. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I mean you you see I mean the BBC is a fantastic platform. It's absolutely great, but you do see other DJs. I mean, the likes of recently Charlie Sloth that have kind of moved away from the BBC and gone to Beats One Radio, and yeah, and maybe because of the the same reasons. But what's apparent and what you've definitely seen is that your music taste has really evolved from what it was like in the beginning mm-hmm. to to what it is now. I mean, listening to your Insta live shows and and uh, checking out your videos on YouTube, you've kind of gone down this 
um, electronic house and funk and soul kind of route there. And I've seen, I've seen a lot of great throwbacks on your sets as well, and you're mixing that up and, yeah, and scratching that, that in is, and developed your own style based on them. That's my roots, though. That's You asked me, you know, what, what kind of music I grew up on, and, and that was it. Like everything that I'm, I'm, you're hearing me play in, even in my, my live streams or whenever I'm able to record a video is that's the, that's the stuff that I like. Mm. It's just, you, you know, sometimes, you know, when you do, when you do gigs, even like when I do live shows, I can't play what I want to play. Some, you know, you have to, yeah. you have to pay it for the crowd at, at some point, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, you know, you, you can put in your influence here and there, but ultimately when you're in a club, you have to play music for the people that are in there. Otherwise Absolutely. you're not going to get booked again. So, yeah. you know, the, the great thing about me being able to do these live streams and stuff is like, you're hearing, you're finally hearing all the stuff that I grew up on that I like playing. That must be so liberating to finally feel like you're in a position where number one, you can call your own shots in your career now yeah, because you you've established yourself and you can really express your musical tastes to the public in a way that's unfiltered and unrestricted. Yeah, definitely. It is. So so what's about the move to New York then? I got married. <laughs> <laughs> the simple yeah. answer. Yeah. No. Uh, I was waiting for this amazing story yeah, about like, how Jazzy Jeff recorded something one time and it just <laughs> all these things and it's like, I got married. <laughs> no, well, so when I I I guess I always knew that I would move here at some point. I couldn't see myself staying in the UK and being able to do any more than what I had done. That's um, right. yeah. And, you know, I was like, well, I've done radio, you know, DJed as many places as I could, you know, what, what's next. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like, you know, things like so many opportunities have just come my way without me knowing is because I always ha have had the mentality to just keep going and think that you're mm. like, what's next, what's next, what's yeah. next. Um, you know, so I, I, I guess I always knew that I, I would end up here eventually. Um, but you know, there's just so much more to do here. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Um, I mean, I, I love New York. I, I've been several times, and I'll I'll yeah. continue to go several times. But one thing that I found that the scene is is so diverse. I mean, even in London, don't get me wrong, you've got something for everyone. Mm -hmm. But I think it's very easy for people in London, in my opinion, to be put into boxes. You're either this or you're that or you're that. Yeah. And did you kind of feel when you were in London, you were this Asian or people would say this Apony female DJ and her name's Kaper and she was Asian Network. So you're, that's you. And you couldn't really explore a different avenue. And did, did it feel like you could be whoever you wanted to be in New York? No, I, th I think, I, think I, I, I did the same thing in it, when I was living in London as well. I, I, because I always, it, you have to understand that like the people that knew me from radio, just that that's where they may have discovered me. But then I also mm. had this whole history behind me because I'd been DJing for so many years before that. You know yeah. what I mean, so I didn't, I didn't ever feel like I was put into a box, but there was what, there was one, there was one point when I was on Asian network while I was doing the show that I felt like I was just, I could, I was only getting those gigs and I'm, yeah. I hated it. I was like, no, I, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, when I started doing all the, like the VIP kind of clubs and stuff. And when I started doing bungalow eight and the box in London, hmm. you know, I was, people just saw me as a DJ. They didn't see me. That was, I don't think I was put into any kind of category or box or whatever. So, um, so how does the scene differ over in the States as opposed to over here? I mean, what, what, what are the key differences? What kind of music, uh, what, what kind of clubs are you in? And do you ever play UK tunes over there? And how, how are they received? Yeah, I don't think that, it's th that they're as musically diverse here as we are in the UK. Okay. Um, there's, you know, being an open format DJ in the UK means that, you know, you're probably going to play drum and bass and house and, like hip hop yeah. and this yeah. and all these different genres of garage mm. or you know um that was what was uh, that was uh that for me is what has been an open format dj in the uk here is like they're kind of just it's just either hip 
hip hop or house. Yeah. And that's it. So I kind of, I, I feel like they're not as diverse as us. Um, but there are places where I can still play like, you know, like UK stuff. It's just, I'm not going to, it's not going to be the big commercial clubs, you know. Not one Pete. Not two Pete. It's the three Pete. So I asked you to choose three songs which you could play on repeat all day, every day. What is your three Pete? Um, <laughs> uh, LCD Sound System, Someone Great. So, so what made you choose that one? Is there a particular point in your life where you kind of thought, you know what, uh, it, it brings some kind of nostalgia? Yeah, I think when I started DJing, when, like we were just talking about when I started doing like more of the VIP kind of clubs and stuff in London, um, where I really had to like kind of broaden my musical knowledge. It couldn't just be hip hop or R&B and, you know, house or whatever. Um, I was one of the main like artists that I would, I would play was, was LCD sound system. Um, and I'm a massive fan of James Murphy. I just think he's a genius. I mean, I have to admit something when, uh, like when I first heard of LCD sound system, I thought they were a drum and bass group. (laughs) (laughs) But their their album sound of silver, probably arguably their most popular album is a fantastic album. It's, um, yeah. And that, that tune's a great, great number one. So you could play that all day, every day. The baseline is just, it's just, it's it's so sick. Like it always, no matter where I play, it always sounds good. No matter whether it's in my house or in the club or wherever, you know. That's Uh, a sign of a great track that, isn't it? Where it can kind of cross Mm -hmm. uh, environments. Yeah. So, you know, you play it in a club, it sounds amazing. You play it at home in your car, it still sounds great. It's a real sign of a, yeah, it's a real sign of a great track. Yeah. It's, it's right. And I also like, uh, I, um, when, um, they did their last, uh, concert, Madison Square Garden, it's on, it's, they made a documentary out of it. And that was one of my favorite parts of the documentary when they perform it. Um, yeah. and James Murphy is on this like amazing old school microphone in mm. Madison Square Garden. There's like a disco ball. It's like all the things that I love. So yeah, you ever see them play live? Uh, yeah, yeah, I have. I I actually saw James Murphy across the road. I can look at it right now. <laughs> he has a bar in Williamsburg. Um, oh, wow. Is that why you moved there? Yeah, one of the reasons. <laughs> <laughs> he has uh, this this uh, club that just opened up just before um, lockdown happened, actually. And wow. it's like everything that you would imagine it would a James Murphy bar would be. It was like yeah. walk in and... It looks like a scene from like cocktail, you know the yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> cocktails and dreams. Yeah, where the guy, where the guys get the glasses. From yeah, the um, and yeah, and it's all vinyl and turntables. It's like amazing. So yeah, um, yeah. He he, had saw saw him in there like a couple couple of months ago, and I was freaking out a little. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what he does. He just walks around like Williamsburg because I think he lives here. So you see him that's all the so time. So cool, crazy. Yeah. So what's your second? Um, talking heads. <laughs> once, in a, once in a lifetime. Um, again, I think it's just like, it's the baseline in that as well. I'm, you I'm know really what? I was it. just going to say for a tune that was like in the 80s. Yeah. I think it was released in like 1980. The synth and the, the drums on that, it kind of sounds like the style of music like the 1975 or 21 pilots are making now yeah yeah like it's such yeah like when when i when i heard that tune again mm-hmm. recently i thought this, this could be brand new this could yeah. hit the charts mm-hmm. again now yeah yeah it's such a, a great um great song um and it's so distinctive like you just know when it starts you just know because yeah. it's got that little like little bell thingy yeah yeah uh, and it just yeah it's just it's a great song can't really anyway <laughs> two um, solid solid picks so far I know so two solid picks and what's your third you gotta end on a high now okay I was gonna say one but I'm gonna change it um, okay I was gonna say something uh, but I'm gonna change it to Janet Jackson <laughs> 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 because um um, which one though? Oh, it's really hard. Um, that's a that's a tough call. Uh, it is a tough call. I think 
uh, it, it really is, especially for a Janet fan, and I'm a massive mm. Janet fan, so yeah, it's kind of hard. So maybe I shouldn't pick this. It can. Um. <laughs> no, let's let's. You got to commit. Yeah, you got to, oh, you commit to Janet. You got you got to do this. Okay, what? Okay, my favorite song, I guess, from her would be "All Right," um, which is the one, the video where they're kind of in in the old fifties outfits. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. hats, yeah, yeah. and it's all colorful and stuff, and. Um, yeah, I think all right, but then I love so many others. Um, <laughs> yeah, but all you right. get one switch, you get one yeah, change. Yeah. <laughs> um, Just re- rewind that and do it again. Okay. Janet Jackson's favorite tune is <laughs> all right. Janet Jackson's favorite tune is "Miss You Much" because of the chair dance. You know the favorite. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Where she yeah. was, I saw her do that live once. Um, really? Yeah. Was like, that was that in London when she played? No, this was when when I I saw a um, do a concert in, in Atlanta, and she had never done that live before. I believe uh, unless she did it on the Rhythm Nation tour, but I was too young then, so I didn't see that. But um, yeah, I was like, "Is she gonna do it? Is she gonna do it?" And I was yeah. I was in the in the front row as well, right in the middle, and yeah. she literally she did it in front of my face, and I was like, "Wow, that is so hard to do." Yeah. <laughs> in with all yeah. the other dancers. <laughs> Is that's insane? Um, she was great. She had good genes when it came to dancing, though. Oh uh, yeah, especially with all the videos with Michael Jackson as well. It's, yeah. it's insane with Janet Jackson because, I mean, she's such a pioneer, so talented. But she's just got a brother called Michael Jackson who's yeah. just exceptionally yeah, talented, yeah, and so she kind of is like in a weird way underrated for how much of an entertainer she is. I Would you agree is, with yeah. that? For sure. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of it has to do with her being a woman as well. Um, you know uh, but if you think about it like like I feel like women it's hard for people to give women credit Mm. you know um, and she deserves all the credit because there's been so many artists that have come around after her that have been influenced by you know if you look at Rihanna if you look at Beyonce Mm. and Britney Spears even and um, uh, even NSYNC like all these guys they were all influenced by stuff that she's done before yeah um, yeah, there's so many things that I've seen Beyonce do. I've seen her quite live quite a few times as, as well. And I know that Janet's done that before because I've yeah. seen it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And you also forget how, how long her career actually spanned as well, mm. because you've got the early stuff, yeah. But then she really hit that R&B phase yeah. as well. And she, she was a, a powerhouse in that as well. Yeah. But people tend to forget that, that late 90s R&B. Mm-hmm. And how big she was, because if you listen to curated playlists on on streaming platforms, mm-hmm. you don't tend to see a lot of Janet Jackson. No, it's no, crazy. You, you, you do. You see your your ushers and you see your puff daddies and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. You don't yeah. tend to see the Janet Jackson as much. So she had, she had a lot of tunes, like yeah. Um, but you know, there was actually one. There was one point where I do believe um, that she was. Um, that she was more popular than Michael Jackson because if you think about the early 90s mm. um, like in 1993 she was the biggest female star on the planet like yeah, yeah. she was the Rihanna of the well, in the early 90s yeah. she was the Beyonce mm. right um, and uh, and then Michael at that time was you know going through all the the allegations and you know yeah. all the stuff the child molesting stuff yeah <laughs> happening um and I feel feel like you know she was probably doing way better. She was the popular popular Jackson at that time. She yeah, was. And she she was. wasn't afraid of being controversial as well, was she? By the way she dressed and yeah. the way she was. I mean, even more recently at the Super Bowl um, halftime show. Mm. You know yeah, I mean, I, people would say it was it was planned. Who knows? <laughs> I don't believe it was. I believe it was an accident. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, no, she's, people don't understand, like, there's, there's some things that she, she has said on her, on her songs, you know, from the days of Rhythm Nation that still matter to this day, like, as well as her being, you know, kind of raunchy Mm -hmm. and controversial in that way, she was controversial in a, in a very political and socially conscious way as well. And people 
a lot of people who don't pay attention to it and wonder why the hell I'm such a big fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, one, of the, one of the main reasons is because she taught me so many things that I never would have known, you know. Mm. Um, no, I think that's a I wise left. choice. I, I, think. I, think, I think it's a great switch and a great choice because of, like you say, it's, there's some artists out there that become more than their music. And, yeah. you know, from a social, political sense, yeah. she definitely has transcended. Yeah. And it's just a shame she doesn't, for me, get the recognition that she deserves as much as she could. Yeah, definitely. So there we have it, guys. We have Capers 3P, LCD Sound System, Someone Great, Talking Heads Once in a Lifetime, and we took a detour. And Janet Jackson, every single tune she's released. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's just say Janet Jackson on a whole. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. You know what I love about this three-peat chance? Yeah. The diversity of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because this, this just goes to show, I mean, the whole point of the podcast is that we're looking at Brit Asians that are basically diversified into popular culture and how their influences are completely different. Mm-hmm. And it's helped shape their careers. And, and um, that's why we, we love talking to you. But we've got the final we should question. Change it. We, should, we should change it to four P and get it to give us a favorite Bhangra track. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, okay, so, so, uh, all right, so I, I, I've been kind of slagging off Bangor all this time, right? But <laughs> I have to say that I did, I did after I learned about it, I did, I did like some of the tracks. A lot of them, like, so before, before I started the radio show, I'm sorry, I'm going to go off and no, one no, now. go for it. <laughs> before I started the show, um, before. After I did my pilot, there was a uh, one of the head people from Asian Network came to my uni and bought me a box of Bungo records okay. and was like, uh, "You need to learn about this." And he marked all the the tracks, the popular tracks on each record, mm-hmm. and he was like, um, "Yeah, so can you do some research and just learn and stuff?" And one of the ma- you know one of the main um, uh, one of the main records was it was Punjabi MC, mm-hmm. but it was. Um, what is it called? Damn. <laughs> you, you can hum it and I'll, I'll, not, I'll try and guess. I think it's, it was Hoggy Asharabi. Did I say Hoggy that right? Asharabi, yeah, yeah. Hoggy Asharabi, yeah. See, that, that was massive, that tune. That that lasted many years. People play it now and it still hits. Yeah, and it's and that is like a pure Bangra track, right? Yeah, and I, absolutely. I, and, you know, there's no hip-hop beats in there or nothing like that, which, you know, Punjabi MC obviously did a lot. Hmm. And that was like a pure Bangor track. And I loved it. I used to I used to play that at the Mellas all the time. I used to love it, the drum yeah. roll in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I would be like, yes. But the thing is about a lot of Punjabi MC tracks, they they loop really well as well. And you can sample, like, the little thumbies in there at the beginning. Yeah. And they drop so well because they, they're at similar BPMs than some really good, like, hip-hop and R&B tunes. So... They drop really well with them. Well, that's why, um, that's how I got away with playing, with not playing Bangor, but playing it. Because I knew I had yeah. to play it. So yeah. what I used to do was when I would do like my mashup mixes for the yeah. show, mm. I would, that's what I do. I loop little little bits and then put other stuff over it and acapellas and stuff like that. Um, that was my way of like, it was my little way of getting over that little hurdle. <laughs> this is the part of the show where we ask are you roots or rhymes Kepa, the last question we're going to ask you today are you roots or are you rhymes i am rhymes i don't know this is a hard question this is not like it's not like something that i could be i think i'm both though no i think i can I take, that. I'll <laughs> take that the interesting thing from this conversation that i've taken is like if we say like roots as in are you Indian music roots and that's where you came from, then probably not. But well, you're you're true to your own roots, which I think is really great about this whole conversation that we've had. Yeah, that's what it's I, like. You've been authentic from day one. Yeah, and stuck to what you've loved. That's that's what I mean by when I say I'm both because yeah. it's not like what is what are my roots? Do my roots have to be like everyone else's roots? You know, I right. didn't. I I'm from Croydon. I grew up in South London. And I grew up listening to R&B, hip-hop, reggae, groove, like, you know, yeah. all the stuff that you hear me play in my lives. That's, that, for me, is my roots, whether mm. it, I sound like a coconut or not. Do you know what I mean? I don't care. <laughs> that's Absolutely. What you know what? This coconut theme is going to come back because <laughs> we were having this discussion <laughs> last, last week because yeah. I, I was, I'm the same, really, not really influenced by 
Indian music growing up got called a coconut because they just used to listen to R&B and hip hop anyway. Yeah. And it's, it is that weird when you're young, you don't really understand it. But as you get older, you're like, those are my roots just because they're not the same as yours. Don't make them any less valid yeah. as roots. Yeah, definitely. So there we have it, guys. Kaper is both. <laughs> not not roots, not rhymes. She is She's both. the and in the middle of roots and rhymes. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. so tell the guys what you've got going on. This is your opportunity to plug any of your future shows or anything you're working on at the moment. This is your opportunity. Well, I had so many plans and then COVID happened. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I guess, I mean, I don't know when the next, de- next time I'll be DJing in a club, that's for sure. Um, yeah. But, you know, right now I'm just been working on learning how to live stream and about, all, you know, all this new technology that I have to learn. Um, and then on top of that, I've, I've, you know, I have all this time to make music. So, um, I, I I can't tell you if I'm going to put any more music out this year. I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of going with the flow because I had all these plans and now they're all shut down. So. (laughs) Well, what we do know is whatever you're going to put out, it's going to be great. And if you're not already, um, follow Kepa, what's your Insta handle? Um, my Instagram is at Caper Official. Um, at Caper Official. Get listening yeah. to Insta Lives and recently Twitch. But yeah, watch my, my Twitch for my live streams and also Mixcloud as well because now Mixcloud have a sh- live streaming thing going on. So yeah. <laughs> Wicked. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today, Kepa. It's been a great conversation. And, and when I say that I've really enjoyed it, I've really having time has absolutely flown. So thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. The UK is on red alert. As part of our commitment to the British Asian events industry, we're campaigning with We Make Events to help raise vital funds for those who can no longer work as a result of live events being cancelled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. You can help by donating using the link in the description of this podcast, because together we can help make events again.